I haven't got all the answers, but I will share from my heart what I have. Chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were a number of foreigners from among the nations who were worshipers at the feast, and they went to Philip, who came from the village of Bethsaida in Galilee. And they would ask him, would you take us to see Jesus? We want to see him. So Philip went to find Andrew, and then they both went to inform Jesus. He replied to them, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life, but the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me, and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favor upon your life. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil, I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial, for I have come to fulfill my purpose, to offer myself to God. So Father, be glorif- bring glory to your name. Then suddenly a booming voice was heard from the sky. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it through you again. The audible voice of God startled the crowd nearby. Some thought it was only thunder, yet others said, an angel just spoke to him. Then Jesus told them, the voice you heard was not for my benefit, but for yours, to help you believe. From this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. For the ruler of this dark world will be overthrown, and I will do this when I am lifted up off the ground and when I draw the hearts of people to gather them to me. This was an indicate, this, and he said this to indicate that he would die by being lifted up on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and Lord, we just ask that you would be blessed and honored. Lord, that you would fill my mouth with what you would have through your spirit to say to your people. Because, Lord, we desire to follow you, not just in the good, but, Lord, as you walk towards Jerusalem. Lord, be with us now in your name. Amen. When God gives us a destiny, it's really something that means it's going to make a difference to not just your life, but to others. When God calls you to a destiny, it usually has to do with more than just you. Matter of fact, it will have an impact on people around you. But a lot of times, it's very difficult to walk out that destiny because our character can't handle what we've got to do or where we've got to go or what is going to happen. 
And so there is things in this life that we go through that calls us and deepens our walk with Him and allows that destiny to become the very fabric of our character. So that we have the ability to hold it, to establish it, to sustain it. It's interesting that when Jesus talks about his own, his own destiny, he talks about it in the ways of his death. Can you, uh, it was foretold in the major prophets in Isaiah, and we read it almost every Good Friday. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I don't know, that's a pretty big heavy. We talk about the Savior being rejected, and, you know, sometimes it becomes so routine when we get closer and closer to Easter to talk about this that we tend to not understand the value of what took place. In Lent, we talk about following Jesus on this road to Jerusalem, we're not just and we're talking about living lives of a sacrificial love. And when we do this, we, we learn that laying down our lives in love for Jesus looks a lot different than what we expected. I don't know about you, but when Jesus called me into the family, man, I was excited, I was happy, I was I knew that I was going to heaven to be with, you know, I had my insurance, so to speak. And as I continued to, to live life, um, man, my mother, she's, bless her heart, you know, she wanted to teach me and she got me in early to learn scripture. I think it was my mom's diabolical plan to get me somewhere on the mission field or in the ministry. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to make a difference. I really did. And something in my life used to always draw me back to that, that thing. I just, I wanted to see transformation take place from my life. And so... When I went to Bible college, I got myself a degree, and I was, man, I was uh, excited. But in the process of that growing up years, there were things in my life that I, ex I experienced some pretty heavy-handed stuff. Hmm. You know, my relationship with my father was not always 100% hunky-dory. He, he loved to build and make things, and I wanted to help him, but 
I was just never good enough. Just let me do it. So today, I, I, I feel very insecure with a hammer in my hand. My wife would ask me, can we build, you know, shelves here and do this? And I, I go, call Ryan. <laughs> it's true. There were times that, you know, in, my, in growing up, I... I, I remember when I was 12, 13 years old. It was my, you know, my grade seven year, junior high. You know, junior high is a really, you know, wonderful year. You, you're going through ups and downs. You're not really a kid, yet you're not really an adult, and you want to be an adult. And all of a sudden, we were gathered around my teacher's desk, and something fell out of her purse. And... I went, what's that? And all the kids around the desk laughed. And her comments were, I think your mom and dad will tell you what that is. Now you're probably all wondering what it was. It was a tampon. I'll never forget the embarrassment I felt. And kids are not very kind. Because all throughout the day, there was this, Hey, Kendall, I'll tell you next period. <laughs> and I go, what? What? It was the same it was the same high school I mean junior high when I was in band program we used to you know do band and I played trumpet and um, I still have my trumpet I have two of them actually they're packed away but um, <coughs> uh, one of our band teachers he uh, you know if you made a mistake he'd stop everybody and then he would go trumpets play and then he'd go, first trumpet play, second trumpet play. And he'd get right down to the person who had, not made a mis who had made the mistakes, and then he would rip you upside and down the other, and he would make fun of you. One time he even pulled a kid up against the wall. Nowadays, you wouldn't be able to get away with that. But back then... It was like, you didn't want to come to band class with any mistakes. Matter of fact, you didn't want to go to band class in case he punched you out. He was a burly dude that loved football. There's a lot of cool burly dudes. But this guy used a lot of his own physical awareness to, make, to bring intimidation you see, all through life, where there are certain situations that we come into, and they are to bring across a, a to all of our lives a bit of identity that says something about who you are. That's the way the enemy does it. He throws this little incident, and how we go through it oftentimes is the very thing 
that brings that stamp of approval or disapproval of who you are. And many times we walk through life, and we don't even know it, but we've taken on those situations and we've put them on a badge and said, you know what, you're not good enough as a trumpet player. You're just a loser because you don't know anything about sex or about anatomy. I, I, I got out of Bible school and I went to my very first church and my very first day at the job and I'm thinking, man, God's called me to be a pastor. Man, I am going to change the world. My very first day, the pastor says, here, install these curtains. I said, pardon? Here. Curtains? You need curtains. You do it. I'm thinking, you talked to the wrong guy. I don't even do hammers, okay? A screwdriver's a little bit above my pay grade. Never with a tape measure. Come on, I'm having to... No, that was going through my mind. But oftentimes, it was... Those types of things just ended up kind of solidifying. Boom, boom, boom. They were there to solidify that, hey, you know what? You're not going to make it. You're not going to do it. You see, when we are called to make a destiny, it means that we are called not to just love ourselves. We are called to love people and to serve others. And sometimes, and, and we set out and we, we intend to glorify him, but it doesn't go according to plan. And even though we know what Jesus is calling us to do, it's, it's a struggle at times. And like everyone else, our calling and our influence is affected by other people. And just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean other people won't reject you on the road. In fact, sometimes life goes the opposite. Jesus was rejected. He knew what he was going to he, Jesus knew he was going to be rejected, yet he faced the pain of that rejection, and he did the Father's will anyway. Now, I've told you a little bit of my life. I'm going to tell you a bit more, but I've, I've faced a lot of rejection, and it's been painful. But I, I really believe the Holy Spirit has used it in it all. And I, I remember what Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. A seed can't bring a harvest unless it gets buried first, and nothing buries you faster than rejection. Now, I'm going to tell you about three different rooms, three different places, and one was in that very first church that I talked to you about, where I, my very first day I had to install curtains. You know, I, I wanted to make a difference, and I was already feeling that, wow, I was way above any feeling of adequacy. I thought, you know, I'd done my four years. I got my degree in theology. I'm 
I'm at this church. I'm getting paid full time. Ah, man, I, I'm, I'm going. It's, things are going good for me. And I just wanted to help. I just wanted to serve. But I'll never forget that it involved a jackhammer. We were installing a, a church sign out front. But instead of calling work B, the pastor said, here, go rent a jackhammer. And we, I dug the ditch for the conduit for the electrical to get out to the sign. But you had to go through some of the pavement on the driveway. The only way you can get through that is not with a shovel, but a jackhammer. And then I got through that piece of driveway, and then I was thought, eh, I'll use the shovel for the flower bed to get to the sign. Well, the flower bed was put on top of more pavement. <laughs> and so here I am, youth pastor, wanting to save youth for Jesus, and I'm out with a jackhammer on the front busy street. It's like it was... Uh, Four lanes. So if you imagine Central being four lanes or uh, Warman Road or Idlewild, let's do that. It was like Idlewild, and I'm sitting there jackhammering and seeing all the youth that would come to my youth group, people I knew, and they would honk. And here I am jackhammering. You have to understand that in my concept of what I was trying to do for God didn't involve jackhammering. It involved sharing Jesus and loving on people. The last thing I wanted to do was jackhammer. And the fact is, is that this job that could have taken maybe two hours with about three guys took a whole week. Figure that. In my mind, I'm going, for the love of young people. <laughs> now, I, I didn't get to go to a lot of leadership meetings, but there were a couple of times where he would call, the pastor would call a, a, these uh, pastor board dinners, and they were time for regrouping and visioning for the next coming year. And so there was a couple of these times where I, where I, I came with my wife and the wives of the other leaders in the church, and we would gather together, and we would have something to eat. And then we would break off, and the ladies would do their thing, and the guys would, back then, who didn't have ladies on the board. Too bad they were dumb, but anyway... Um, so there was going to be this time. And so I go into the room with the men, and the pastor says, no, Kendall, uh, this isn't for you. I said, ha, ha, ha. He says, no, you were out with the women. Didn't make me feel really good. All the, even one of the board members tried to grab me along and come in, and he said, no. It, for me, it was like all of a sudden I wasn't who I was supposed to be. And the person who was looking after me or I was supposed to be serving didn't think I was that either. And so it 
it became this, this quite embarrassing thing that I, one of the pastors, ends up being with the women. And I would sit by myself because uh, you can only talk about knitting and needlepoint and kids. And one time, Barb was so upset. She says, Kendall, we're going home. And I said, no, I can't. If I go home, I'm going to get in more trouble. She says, I am not sitting here to have you look stupid. Uh, I was in, uh, it was either the pastor or my wife, and I chose not to offend my wife. That was more funnier in my head than you are giving credit for. But you see, the room, that those, those rooms where I was sent out wasn't the room or influence of, of influence and of envisioning that, that I thought they were. And it was so, like it was so, there was such a dichotomy because back then we sat on the platform. And we had big wingback chairs that us pastors sat in. So it looked like we had... So in my mind, I am, I am giving the impression of one thing, yet I know what's happening behind the scenes to me personally. You see, I... I didn't know what was going on at the time. All I knew that what I was feeling. But I understood later that the pastor I served felt threatened. And in order to keep position, it's better that I don't know than what I do know. And so he kept me out of things in order for, in his mind, protect me, but also that I... It, it was... He felt threatened by me. It, I didn't know that. I'm just, just, just fresh out of Bible school. What do I know? But you see, sometimes when you're doing destiny and you're walking in what God's called you to do, it looks a whole lot different than what you thought or what your experience. I can't help but think of a couple of Bible characters along the way here. One is Esther. Esther puts on her best robes because she has been asked by Mordecai, her cousin, who's stepping in as a surrogate father and saying, Esther, you must go to the king. You must. This is the time. You see, already Haman was building gallows and building things that were going to you know, kill all of the Jewish people in Persia. And the only person that could stop it, and Mordecai said, Esther, this is not just going to happen to us, but it will happen to you too. You must go to the king. And she said, I can't. Unless the scepter is, is given, unless I'm called, I can't. And if I go and the scepter is not given to me, I, I am threatened with my life. Yet she dressed up. She went to the court, and it says that on the third day, 
Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. She had to stand and face that rejection. Now we all know, if you've read the story, that the, plea, the king was, was pleased and extended his scepter. But she didn't just outright ask for it right there. On and on it goes, and that's a whole other story. But we can sympathize with, with Esther. We go to a place where we think we will have influence or power, and we, we, we want to sit with decision makers, and yet we have to face rejection at the same time. I don't know about you, but is that something that's happened in your life? Where you have been felt called and chosen and the destiny's been given, yet you've had to stand in the face of rejection. Then there's Joseph. Joseph was given a couple of dreams. And he was so cool about it, he just shared it with his brothers and his dad. And they all turned around on him and said, What, you think we're going to serve you? Ha! You're crazy. What happened? He ended up getting put in a pit, sold as a slave. Then he served Potiphar. And Potiphar respected him, but in essence, it's still, he treated, it says that Potiphar gave everything of what he had to Joseph, except one thing, to sleep with his wife. And because she skewed that in the wrong way, he ended up in prison. He remained faithful, and even in prison, he was why he, he said to the baker and the, and the, the cupbearer, he said, please remember me when you talk to the king. So they, had, they had dreams and he interpreted their dreams and they were correct. And he said, please remember me. And they didn't. I don't know about you, but if you've been given a couple of dreams, I think by the time you got to the place of the prison and nobody remembers you, you kind of go, was that dream really of God or not? It's interesting that the Bible says this about Joseph. He, it talks about God. God had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said come to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Joseph's dream to change the world was a God promise. And even though everyone rejected it, God uses all of that rejection anyway, and the promise, all of that was there to refine him. The next room, and I'll quickly go through this one, is that oftentimes you go through situations and there is success, 
but it's not the type of success in your heart you know is supposed to take place. Everything around you says that you are succeeding, but inside there's something that says, no, you know what, there's got to be more. And so when I went to another church, I was their youth pastor, and everything was going wonderful. Everything was hunky-dory. My youth ministry was growing. It was succeeding. It was, man, it was happening. Until... And the pastor there was not like the other pastor. The other pastor there in, at this place was very accommodating. He just allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do, and so I did it, and I found success by it. But then I wanted to instruct his children, who were youth, and one was their son. It was hard. Don't mess with the pastor's son when you're the youth pastor. He was a ladies' man. Uh, Now, I know what that's like because I used to be a ladies' man. (laughs) That was a joke. Okay, everybody? My wife's not here. I know that that will get back to her, but... But I tried to call forth his destiny in his life because I... I, I really sense that God's hand is on his life. And matter of fact, he is now pastoring a church of well over 1,500, 2,000 people. And, um, but I, I, I crossed the line and I lost. The pastor and his wife didn't care for me. They kind of let me do my thing, but I was no longer trusted or valued. People who worked with me, the, underneath me as, a, as interns, were given more respect and help than I had. But because things were succeeding, there was nothing that could go wrong with me. I just was in this very unfamiliar place. The problem was is that my ministry was succeeding and the pastor's wasn't. And there became this conflict that took place and I could see it happening in sometimes churches circles it's not what this environment has it's very political and become very much driven by people and not by God and so this what took place I came into a board meeting and a leadership meeting and all of a sudden one of the board members said I gave my report sorry of my my ministry and I was really asking for another pastor because my ministry was growing and I couldn't do it all. And they took my report and said, thank you very much. And then they turned to me and they said, Pat, Kendall, you need to leave the room. Why do people tell me that? You need to leave the room. This time I was going, okay, I knew it was coming down the pike, so I left the room. About an hour and a half later, the pastor came to my door at my house And he said, Kendall, I've resigned. Now, back then, if the pastor resigns, the staff resigns too. There is no job security. I just looked at him and said, oh, I'm really sorry. Wow, 
uh, things are finally going well for me, and then someone has to blow it up for me. I tendered my resignation, and the, the board didn't accept it. They said, no, we want you to stay on, and I became the interim pastor. But I, the fact is, is that I couldn't help him. The person that was sent into my life to be my covering and not for me to serve ended up severing that relationship, and when things went rough or went sideways, I, I couldn't help him. And you know, sometimes when people are calling you to help, when they help, when they're calling out for you to help them in ministry or to doing their own destiny, sometimes it's going to be work. And sometimes it's going to create this, this friction. You see, you're not there for yourself. You are there and building up your own character of how you, how you work in the relationship and the dichotomy of other people doing their, their destiny along with yours. And really, it's not about just you committing, for you to see success in your own destiny. It is a combined, unified destiny. Because if the other person that you are serving with doesn't succeed, neither will you. But in our world of entrepreneurialism, we say that if you succeed, you're the best. If you don't, you're the worst. You shouldn't be doing what you've been called to do because of the outcome. The fact is, is that couldn't be more wrong. You see... Sometimes in this world, sometimes you, you put your resume together and you don't get the job. Sometimes it tells you you're not good at something when you think you are. Sometimes it means someone says you're less qualified than you and get, gets promoted. Sometimes you slave away to cook a kid's meal and then they're still more excited to see the dad when he comes home. Rejection and loneliness are real things. We can't ignore them. We can learn to deal with it with the way Jesus did. The last room is really the most fun. And that is, I was sitting on the platform again, only this time, my senior pastor said, Kendall, can you go down and sit in... I mean, he leans over to me. We're sitting on the platform. He goes, you know those people? They're making a lot of noise. There's a couple of kids over there that are making a lot of noise. Can you go, if they continue, can you go down and sit over there? I said, yes, sir. So they made more noise, and I went down, and I sat down. It wasn't a matter of a couple of seconds. The father of those two kids got up out of his chair, and he went like this. Now, this church sought about five, 600 people, so he could do that with a little bit of that no one knew what was going on. And I'm going, 
But I knew who it was. I knew it was the parent of those children. So he went out and I followed him. We went downstairs to the youth room and then he lit into me. How dare you come down and sit on from the platform and embarrass my children? Do you know how hard it is for me to get them to come to church and you make a whole big deal and embarrass them? You know what I'm going to have to face when I get home? Now, I am the assistant pastor at this point. I'm not the youth pastor. I'm just doing what I'm told. What would you do? All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but it was a sudden, because it was, I was getting a little bit bored of being, you know, I was not a little bored, I was just kind of, I, I you know, time stands stills when you're in a, in a difficult moment, it's, it's kind of like a movie moment where you hear people moving their voice, and you're in this major anxiety, like, you're not really hearing what you're saying, but you know that this is not a good thing. All of a sudden, my pastor opens up the door and he says, what do you think you're doing? And he looks at the parent. Now, you have to understand the church service is still going on and the two pastors are down in the youth room. <laughs> And he looks at me and he says, Kendall, could you please go upstairs because someone needs to close the service. <laughs> now, I, I need to say this. There, we did have a guest speaker, so he was speaking. Okay? So it wasn't like the church service stopped <laughs> while we were dealing with stuff downstairs. We did have a guest. He was preaching. And so I went out of the room, but I couldn't help but stop and listen. <laughs> Had to. And he turned, and I could hear him say, how dare you tell my pastor that he shouldn't do what he did. He was doing it because I told him. And he had my back. I went up thinking, cool. I've got a pastor that cares about me. I left that room knowing that that was still a situation that I had to develop and deal with. But you know what? Somebody cared enough about me, and I could trust him. Now, he gave me extra work to do. His name was Ken Bombay. He gave me extra work to do. There are times where I had to literally run from place to place on a Sunday morning. I was the one that had to do this, that, and the other thing and make sure that this whole thing that you see that happens every Sunday happens without a flaw. We had two morning services, an evening service, a midweek service. I was the guy that kind of was the fire putter outer. I had to make sure that everything went... And I didn't mind it. Because guess what? I had a pastor... Who stuck up for me? Now, I could have resented the extra work, but I didn't want to be ignored or dishonored anymore. The most clear sign of acceptance is when someone invites you to help 
help them with the work. When someone says, could you help me? People who accepted Joseph's, who Joseph, the people who accepted Joseph are the ones who invited him to interpret their dreams. Now, I realized that Ken wasn't trying to use me. He actually appreciated my help, but I wasn't sure of how real it was until I was sitting on the platform again. So, what needs to happen now? How was Jesus able to face rejection? He was able to face rejection because he was abiding in the love of the Father. Sometimes we face difficult situations. Here it says, Now is my soul's trouble. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for the purpose I have come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The Father was determined to honor Jesus. Every time you are rejected to follow Jesus, you are honored by the Father. And every time you are despised or ignored for taking a risk, the Father glorifies you. Jesus lived out of his Father's love and acceptance. He made him rejection-proof. That doesn't mean it won't hurt you, and that doesn't mean it won't bury you, but you can get through it when you believe the Father will be bringing resurrection out of your rejection. It's easy to say that we live out of the love of the Father, but we need to walk with people who accept us in order to experience this kind of abiding love. You can't do it alone. You can't be by yourself. The entrepreneurial spirit is wonderful to make us on, to give us pedestals to sound off and say how wonderful we are, but really you're nothing if you're doing it by yourself. Remember, Jesus said that the voice of the Father was for the crowd's sake. Jesus had been living out of the secret place. He knew how his Father felt about him, but the Father was comforting or confronting the crowd. The crowd always thinks that rejection is the end, but, the, but fathers know better. That's why I'm determined to love my sons and daughters with the Father's love. They might still face rejection, but they can always choose to abide in the love that's deeper than the pain. Have you been rejected? How did that go? Are you still walking in the pain of that rejection? It's time to get refreshed in the Father's love. Because that rejection was never there to stamp the image of identity that says, that is your life. I'll tell you, did that end my rejection? Experiences? No, I could fill this whole room with more. I could go on another few hours. But the purpose of my breaking off this life for you is to have you understand that 
when Jesus said he was despised and rejected by men, he actually faced it all. But he walked in it because of the love of the Father. And it is the love of the Father that takes you from your destiny of just what it, the potential of it to the fulfillment of it. And in the middle of it is the character building time which he is creating and making and working in and through you. The rejection part is not the final word. The love is the final word. I want to end with this is that I... I read a book just recently called Rejection Proof. It's by a secular writer. I, he does talk a little bit of Bible, but um, one of the things, one of the points he makes in the book is he says this, is the greater the rejection signifies the greater the change, the greater change that's going to take place in and through your life. The amount of rejection that you have faced will, in fact, signifies a change is taking place in your life. A change took place in Jesus' life from the rejection that has lasted centuries and continues to do so. What are you doing with your rejection? Letting it eat away at you and making it, allowing it to stamp its image on you? Or are you taking it and saying, God, I want to fall into your love and build the character. Lord, I, I submit to your will that you will build the character in me that will be able to sustain the destiny you've called me to. That is what being a burning one is all about.